Welcome to Powered by How, where thought leaders and industry leaders come together to discuss the technologies being developed to build a more sustainable energy sector. In this episode on big data, AI, and the energy solutions of tomorrow, we're looking at how digital technologies could support the energy sector to reduce energy intensity and cut emissions. Big data is used to analyze huge volumes of information to tackle complex issues, identify patterns, and permit more accurate predictions. Combined with progress in AI and machine learning, it's becoming possible to bring together a myriad of data points into actionable insights to improve efficiency, safety, and reliability across the entire energy process. But what about its potential as a tool to boost decarbonization? That's what we're going to discuss today. Joining me is Nabil Al-Noem, Aramco's Vice President of Digital Technology, Ronald Van Loon, CEO and founder of Intelligent World, a global tech event of thought leaders, analysts, and influencers, and Turbian Folgerol, Senior Vice President and Chief Digital Officer at Equinor. Turbian leads Equinor's digital strategy. So I'd like to start by asking you, how can digital technologies be used by the energy sector to reduce emissions? And can you start by giving me a practical example of where this has been deployed and to what effect, just to get our conversation going? Nabil Al-Noam. Digital uh, is, is really in the, in, the, in the full value chain of the energy sector, from, from the production to transporting the, the energy molecules to all the way to the end user. So uh, digital is really across the board. It's a big enabler for making the energy, specifically oil and gas, uh, uh, you know, safer to produce more efficient, also uh, uh, lowering the carbon footprint and making more uh, specific, you know, decisions to make, uh, you know, to make the supply of energy goes to every uh, household or, or every user across the board. Ronald Van Loon, do you agree with what we've just heard, that digital technologies have a role at every link in the supply chain? Yeah, digital technologies are everywhere. So if you think about digital technologies, and I have a data analytics background, I think about data analytics. And if, let's say, if we look to any organization, any organization is a data organization, and any organization is an AI organization as they use data. So basically everywhere where you can use data, to reduce the energy consumption, it can help basically to reduce the emission. So every organization, whether it's in the supply chain, whether it's in their transport, whether it's in their operation, and even whether it's in, in their marketing, they can um, lower their energy consumption and therefore they can basically re reduce the emissions. So, and everybody can help. That's the, the great thing, I think. I understand Equinor's digital strategy is based around three pillars, always safe, high value and lower carbon. What does that actually mean in practice? Yeah, I think first and foremost, uh, we see digital technology as one of the key enablers for our company to, to realize our ambition towards net zero by 2050. So that means that we are using digital across our value chain to improve safety, to improve the profitability in the company, as well as uh, driving down uh, uh, emission. So this is not something we're working in, in only pieces of the company, but we are kind of approaching the whole, uh, the, the whole value chain by, by digital. 
So Nabil, um, you're responsible for Aramco's fourth industrial revolution technologies. I can really see how they can improve efficiencies, downtime for repairs, deployment cycles, but how do they decarbonize operations? Can you explain that? You know, when, uh, as Ronald mentioned, when, when you talk about, when you combine data with a problem statement and combine it with AI, you make the right decisions. So if we pick the example of drilling, drilling has, you know, requires energy, requires resources to drill. So if you improve the decision where to drill, improving the hit rate, improving where to find the sweet spot much quicker, it means you will be producing that energy or molecule in, in, in a very much uh, lower carbon densities. This is really because of uh, what Ronald talked about, that data and AI, and we use really AI to lower the carbon footprint uh, of, of our activities. Turbian Equinor is aiming to be net zero by 2050, as you said earlier. What specific part will technologies like AI and machine learning play in helping you to reach that target? In Equinor, we are 50 years uh, uh, this year, in, in fact, and uh, during uh, 50 years of operation, we have gathered a vast amount of uh, operational industrial data. Uh, and this is data we have struggled to really unlock the, the value potential of uh, historically, but uh, due to the recent uh, developments within, as you say, AI, machine learning, big data processing, we can use these data in new ways uh, uh, today. So, so examples of this, what we're doing in Equinor is that we, uh, we have a partnership with Microsoft. So we're using, collaborating closely with them. And we have made much of this data available into the, into the cloud. We are also looking into organizational changes. For example, we have set up an operation center, gather many of our engineers and operating that are now using this data to look across our assets and equipment. Not only to increase production, but also to identify areas where we can take uh, take down the, the, the carbon footprint of our uh, operations. And how hopeful are you that you'll be able to realize some of this potential in the short term? As I re- reflected uh, a bit earlier, we are uh, we're already seeing impact. So financial impact, we have delivered more than $2 billion over the last few years from digital uh, technologies driven by production increase, taking down the, uh, the cost. We are seeing that our, our employees, our operators are uh, working more safer and more efficient by using digital tools in the, in the field. And we are also seeing impact on kind of the, the carbon uh, efficiency by using data. And not only by using data, as another example, we are working more with unmanned facilities where we can remove a lot of the the, the equipment that we need if you have manned on the plants. When you, we go fully unmanned, as you're doing with several plants, you can strip the, the asset much more and EA have a much more carbon efficient uh, installation. So we are already seeing impact. Uh, and again, uh, going ahead, digital is a key enabler towards our 2050 uh, target. And which other industries, Ronald, have used these technologies in a really powerful way, which might actually act as a template for the energy industry. Basically, every industry that uses data is an industry where you can optimize for your energy efficiency. And you can think about the, the transport sector. Um, you can use think about manufacturing. You can think about um, the energy industry 
every industry basically um, is an industry and where you can use, let's say, all different kinds of, of possibilities that can be used uh, used as a, as a template. Um, so if we use for look for the, the transportation sector, you can think about using data for optimizing electrical vehicles or for optimizing your, your battery uses. And that's already an example where you use data to make an application of a, let's say, of a product more efficient. And whether it's a battery, whether it's a machine, whether it's your watch, whether it's your computer, everywhere in every industry, every product can be further optimized with the help of, of data. So we're talking about improving efficiencies, optimizing processes. How far can we take this approach? What ultimately can the use of big data, machine learning, AI deliver in terms of reducing energy use? Nabil? At, at the enterprise level, uh, you know, you have to build the right infrastructure, the right tools, the right, you know, digital platforms to enable the organization make, make the right decision. And, and oil and gas is very well known for, you know, building the right infrastructure. But who really should participate, uh, let's say, in really making this decision? The operators, the engineers that are in the field, you should also enable them with, with tools. So one thing that the oil and gas, specifically Aramco is a leader in this, is we are enabling our engineers to take the data of, let's say, a pump, as simple as a pump or a compressor. We know what is really the operating curve for this pump. And, and there is like efficiency uh, you know, point where to operate to get the maximum in terms of efficiency and, and productivity of this piece of equipment. They are also, while they are monitoring the performance of these assets, they can also predict the failure. So it means you are lowering you know, downtime. If you are lowering downtime, it means you are increasing, increasing revenue you know, and, 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 uh, and, and the operation. So, so it's not about efficiency or, or lowering carbon footprint, but also how do you make sure that you continue producing at efficient and you supply energy to the, to the consumer as well thanks to the technology that makes computational power accessible uh, and, and the big data and AI algorithms are readily available for the, the, uh, you know, the users to make the right decisions. These are really disruption of the fourth industrial revolution that you enable the decision maker, enable the business to make the right decision, whether in finance, whether an operator or operation engineers in the field, they truly need to be you know, enabled by these tools to make the right decisions to lower the carbon footprint or operate in the, in the, in the most sustainable manner. Ronald, what are your thoughts on that? How far can this approach take us? Because time is not on our side in terms of the scale of the problem. We have to decarbonize our economies and fast. How far can AI and digitalization and machine learning take us in order to reduce the challenge? If we look to the ICT industry, for example, they need to uh, reduce the carbon footprint by at least uh, 40, uh, 45% in 2030, if we look to, to the Paris Agreement. Um, now, if I look to the hyperscalers, which are the large cloud providers, uh, for example, the largest one, they will be on renewable energy in 2025. So five years in advance before basically the Paris Agreement. 
On the other hand, if we look to this, this industry, it's under a lot of pressure. So if we look, for example, to 2030, the general computing power will increase by 10 times. The AI computing power will increase by 500 times. So energy consumption will increase rapidly and the energy efficiency needs to really be an integral part of, of this sector to make, make that work. So if you look at this, the performance needs to increase by factor 10 to up to 500 in the coming eight years. And on the other hand, they need to reduce the carbon emission by 45%. Now, um, let me share some, some examples. Um, I attended um, uh, several um, events last, last couple of weeks. Um, one of the events, for example, where there was a case in Spain for network optimization to show the capabilities where an AI opti opti optical switching system was developed on the backbone of the network, and it was improving the energy efficiency by 81% and reducing cost by 29%. So if you look to the capabilities of data and AI, it's substantial. If you then can add the increase of compute power, so that's, let's say, the, the, the chips that are running and how much more power they can deliver is increasing by factor 10, sometimes up to 100 or sometimes up to 1,000 times what they can perform with the same type of energy. So the power of the, 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 the ICT sector, I think, shows for other organizations what is capable and is, I think, a great um, template, as you called it, which we can use for other industries. Although these type of um, statistics maybe not be re realistic for other industries. I think it's a great template how they think and how they are really advancing AI to reduce the energy consumption and reduce the emissions. Nabil El Noem, I want to ask you specifically about methane emissions um, and stubborn area which the industry has been relatively slow to address. Could digital technologies play a role in helping to eliminate methane emissions and, and how? Can we use digital technologies to decarbonize natural gas largely? The answer is yes, possible. Uh, in fact, uh, digital transformation with our sensors uh, on, the, on the ground or satellite images, uh, you know, with all the, all the uh, sensing uh, devices, they can really monitor methane emissions, let's say whether for coal or for, you know, uh, oil and gas industry. You know, it's all about how do you really monitor your assets to, to really uh, identify the, uh, the leaks and the assets. So at least operators, they identify rather than uh, during the transport or in the pipeline. And there could be some leaks in the flanges and, and the, and the uh, different assets. And it stays for years and nobody knows. So, so therefore, you know, monitoring and, and identifying areas of, 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 uh, of leaks digital transformation with identification of, of areas that requires repair is something very important to say for the coal industry, for the energy industry at, at large, but also to identify other sources of, of methane. It comes also from the agriculture and the live, livestock, you know, of, of so, so identifying, you know, these areas and and, and at least when you talk about emission, uh, operators of the energy can really make actions on the ground to lower the emissions. Uh, digital transformation can play a major role in the surveillance and monitoring and, 
taking quick action to repair, you know, to repair issues or also identify the agriculture, the amount of methane that comes from agriculture. Uh, and Torbjorn, your views on this sticky issue of methane emissions? Yeah, so um, reducing uh, methane uh, emissions is also a key focus for us in, in, in Equinor. So we are working on, on new technologies, both to detect and reduce um, emissions, uh, as well as working on the on the, the quality of reported data within this uh, this area. So, and one of the most important means is to to early detect le leakages. So, for example, one of the areas we're looking into is the use of drones that we equip with sensor or sniffing sensor that we can fly either at a plant level or you know across the Norwegian continental shelf to detect uh, detect missions. We also work on. On a, on a digital tools that is all already been scaled across second or uh, we call it e-calc and here we can we are trying to predict emissions by gathering uh, various type of data and, and this tools tool is being used by all of our assets when they are creating their emission reduction uh, strategies so some examples of how we are uh, attacking uh, this this area ronald if we are to meet our paris agreement goals it's not going to be enough simply to reduce the energy in intensity of various industries. We are really going to have to tackle the demand side as well, aren't we? How can you use digital technologies to try and manage the demand curve? If I look to, let's say, most of the sectors, they will use more energy in, in the coming years, which is a challenge. So that means that the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity is on the side of optimizing the usage, um, optimizing the efficiency from every operation, whether it's um, ICT operations, whether it's a car, whether it's a battery, whether um, it's um, a machine, everything basically needs to optimize. And this is exactly, I think, where the easiest and biggest win is. Everywhere where you have um, a tool, a tool generates data. If you have data, you can analyze the data. Initially, you can provide insights and you can manually make the improvements. If you further advance, you can start predicting the behavior of a certain tool or a machine. You, based upon this prediction, you start thinking ahead and start taking actions, whether it's preventing outages or preventing certain actions that reduce the, the, the energy consumption. And if you go even the next level, you start automating with the help of machine le learning algorithms and start automatically optimizing your machine. The machine learning algorithms automatically take actions for you to optimize the behavior of the machine to minimize the energy consumption. And that's what you basically can apply in every industry, um, in every product, if there's data, there's analytics, there is AI. Nabil, the oil and gas industry is a massive global industry with many different practices across the industry. Some companies have been very forward-looking and embraced digital technologies, but the industry as a whole has been relatively slow to do so, to recognize and implement the potential of digital technologies. Do you see this now changing? Are we at some kind of inflection point? After all, the industry is enjoying bumper profits right now. You know, it's a super cycle, isn't it, with energy prices? Uh, you know, 
I don't know about the, the oil and gas being any behind. Maybe there are when you talk about uh, you know the oil and gas industry, but companies like Aramco, we are ahead. I know we've done a third party assessment and we identify that we are ahead when it comes to digital transformation. Doesn't mean that there are no other areas of improvement. And, and let me try to, to uh, handle uh, a question you had earlier. Uh, you know, about how can digital transformation help in decarbonization and let's say energy transition as well as we move into renewables, moving into hydrogen. You know, uh, let me take a data at the country level. And, uh, you know, and there are commitment from countries to, you know, achieve net zero by specific, by specific year. And there are companies that commit into net zero. Think about it in, in, at the country level. How, how, do, how can you really monitor who is achieving what? So let me just yani, uh, bring a little bit of ex excitement and let's pick any country. And every country, typically there are uh, you know, cities that they emit more than others. Why don't we create what we call a city sustainability at a digital box? So, so going back to Ronald, what he mentioned about the ICT and how ICT and monitoring and, you know, and, and bringing all the sensors, is it possible that, you know, that the, the, uh, the uh, you know, country or nations produce what I like to call sustainability or the city sustainability programs at the digital box? So we can monitor, you know, the, the demand. But at, this, at the same time, we monitor the offset programs. How many trees do you tree? You know, do you plant? How much of the resources you are recycling? So, so you cannot do this without really having. I like to call it probably a data backbone for sustainability. So you know, you cannot fragment this at only you know a sector level. You have to integrate at country level. So, so think about you know putting sustainability in a digital box. And, and without the, the support of ICT and, and integrating the data from every sector, will not be able to achieve, or at least report how much you achieved of your commitment moving forward. So this is going to put a lot of demand you know, on the fourth industrial revolution in order to see the progress of the energy transition, decarbonization, achieving net zero you know, uh, targets. Uh, I thought this is something to... to to share with you to see the size is not about oil and gas industry only. It's about the consumer behavior. It's about you know, uh, uh, you know the other operators. It's about how fast we get into renewable energy. Whether renewable energy have we have the right resources? Whether batteries are available as a technology in in a most cost, cost effective and sustainable way? You know, to the, for the electrification of the car fleet, it's 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 a complex. So the the, the truly fourth industrial revolution, data and AI, like Ronald mentioned, is, is this something is gonna really enable? Uh, you know, the the policymakers, the enterprises to achieve their their decarbonization or net zero targets. And Torbjorn, what about the application of? big data and AI to renewable energy, which Equinor is also investing in in the North Sea. Yeah, so a key focus area for us is, is offshore wind, where we want to build on our strength from uh, offshore oil and gas uh, operation. And, and here we also teamed up with, with Microsoft and, and we are working over Microsoft to streamline and, and digitize the entire design process for, for offshore wind uh, 
forms all the way to the financial economic uh, modeling and, and the thinking here is to kind of combine Ekner's in-house knowledge with Microsoft's uh, capabilities uh, from uh, you know deep technical data and, and understanding. Another example is our wind um, farm in Scotland, high wind Scotland. In fact, the world's first floating offshore wind farm. And here we're also already using AI to optimize the angles, angle of the rotor um, blades uh, as, as, an, as an example, as well as um, we're using AI in the combination with batteries so we can increase the stability of the, the supply and, and, and the regularity towards the, the grid. So uh, again, within offshore wind, uh, we also try to learn for how we use data and AI in the, the kind of oil and gas business and see how can we now use that also within our renewables uh, business. There are a lot of concerns that people have about how AI and other technologies can be used or abused. So how is it that we can develop good protocols, good governance to make sure that these kind of concerns are allayed and that we get the potential from AI? Ronald? Yeah, so governance is, is critical, but as everywhere in the world, if you have a certain product, whether it's a car, whether it's a knife, whether it's a stone, you can do wrong things with it. And the same basically, I think, is with, with data and AI. So on one hand, it's use AI for good. We have technology hyperscales that say, use AI for good, use your data for good, don't misuse the trust. So on one hand, it's in every team, in every person's mind, how to use it and what is acceptable. A rule of thumb for every data scientist, for every business person, do you want to make it public? And if it's publicly acceptable, then it's good governance. If you think from a ruling perspective, it's um, hard. Um, governments are very slow. It's hard to understand it. It takes years. So yes, it is required. Like GDPR, for example, how to govern your, your data and your, your personal identifiable data, but it takes years. So the first step is the people itself that use data, they should have in they should be educated how to use it for, for good practice. And as said, every product, every item can be misused for, for bad habits. And that's something that we need to prevent as well with AI. On the other hand, sorry to make it a little bit longer, AI can check AI. So AI can monitor if things are used properly. So that's how it keeps it in, in balance as well. And these type of monitoring systems are more and more advanced as well. Nabil, you must have had to think through and grapple with these governance issues within Aramco. What are your thoughts? Oil and gas industry in general is all about governance, making sure that we follow rules. Even developing uh, you know, solutions that are AI-based, we, we have to follow certain rules, rules of transparency. You know, making sure that we understand and log uh, what the machines are doing, what decisions are being made. Uh, during the development, we make sure that, you know, the, the, uh, whatever solutions or AI is, is not, is not uh, used for things against the principles or the values of the company. Uh, for example, safety, uh, fairness. How do you make sure that we are fair? Uh, the privacy for for uh, something that is going to break the privacy so we have to follow and strict about it uh, who is accountable for the development and, and managing those those machines i like sometimes to call it 
you know, AI as if you are creating a digital workers that embedded in the organization. So you have to take care of them. You have to fuel them with the right data. You have the, these machines, they are, have to follow the right rules. They become, they, they have like a badge number. They, they are part of your, you know, of, of your fabrics. So, so the way you treat human beings in terms of fairness and making sure that they do the right thing is exactly the same thing. AI applications, they are like digital workers embedded in the organization. They have to follow the rules. Uh, I think this is probably the best uh, explanation that I tell the individuals about AI. AI is, is another individual supposed to assist the human being to do the right decisions in sustainability and you know, and the way we operate and the way we handle or the way even we monitor as Ronald just mentioned, AI can also monitor the other AIs. So uh, uh, governance and, and ethics and, and developing and managing and operating, you know, machines uh, or AI is something very important, uh, you know, uh, uh, for digital transformation. So we're discussing this whole issue of the governance of digital technology, Turbian. What are your thoughts? Our view in Equinor is that the digital is going to be integrated in everything we're doing. It's going to be integrated in technology development. It's going to be integrated in, in business uh, processes. Uh, and that means we need to take more of a kind of system view on, on digital uh, and not have some digital on the, on the side. So what we recently have done in, in Equinor is that we, we have been through a, a quite big reorganization of our technology organization. Uh, blending of a former Ghana research uh, organization with our IT organization together. And that means we are putting the deep domain uh, specialists within the hardware together with the domain people within software in the same organization and, 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 and same team. So that is one concrete change we have made in, in, in Equinor. And then secondly, we are also very clear that um, we need the ownership of adoption implementation out in the business line. So we have a structure with clear product owners sitting out in the business and working with us in the technology organization. And it's the product owners that is kind of the CEO of the product per se, ensuring that it's being adopted, that they get the value from it, and that they continue to invest in the, in the tools. And this way of, of organizing and structure us is also it's a bit challenging for a company that is more used to, you know, huge uh, capital uh, project quite waterfall because we have to freeze the design due to our risk perspective to work more iterative uh, jointly together with the, uh, with the business. So yeah, we are taking a much more iterative uh, approach to, to tech development now, much more closer business and technology um, together. And this requires to learn new ways of working both within tech and out in the, out in the business. So I think maybe our final point there is the the need to invest in our people, our employees, so they can both learn about new technology, but also a new modern way of working is, 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 is a key part of uh, what we what we need to, need to do. In the end, it doesn't matter if we work with the most fancy and, and exciting technology, if kind of our people are not ready or willing to use it or trust the data and, and technology. So uh, this more uh, people side of, of digital is, 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 is very, very key as well. Ronald, the deeper we go down into the adoption of digital technologies, the creation of a data backbone, as Nabil so nicely put it, the more vulnerable we are to cybersecurity issues. We've already seen a big rise in cyber attacks on energy companies. What can we do to mitigate these risks? 
everywhere where you use technology, you have um, cyber attacks, um, you have ransomware attacks, etc. So it's a high risk for organizations. So you really you have to be aware of it. And I think energy companies, like any other organizations, need to have a proactive approach in cybersecurity, especially in this age. That's what we call a zero trust um, era, which means don't trust anything. Not the, not the people, not any layer in your system. You need to think from everything can can go wrong to protect. Yeah, on one end, the the information that you have, the data that you have, your business, your operation. Because if you have an attack and you're out of your operation, it can damage your your business substantially. So, first action, what I believe, and and not everybody will agree with this, is. Um, Moving to the cloud, one of the, the security advantages of the cloud um, for the hyperscalers, which are the biggest uh, cloud providers um, like um, AWS, like Oracle, like Microsoft. Um, when there is a cyber threat or an attack, when this attack will be detected, it will be solved. And everybody on that cloud platform will benefit from such an attack. So it's basically a big network where you protect yourself if some is one of the persons is one of the companies is attacked, you can benefit from it. Um, so this is what what we call on one hand, uh, let's say a shared responsibility, and the shared responsibility has also other benefits, but also has some shared responsible responsibilities for ev every user. So you can think about if you want to protect your environment, you need to protect yourself on basic level. Have their have an advanced username password. It sounds stupid, but it happens often. And if one person doesn't have a proper password or he doesn't store it in in a vault, he just has it in his Word document on his computer, and this computer is hacked, it can damage your whole operation. Um, using multi-factor authentication, which means as much as once you have your username password, you have another tool that generates a code to log in. It's also very basic, but very effective, especially in this first type of, of uh, threats. Encrypting your data. So everything what you do, encrypt your data. And now you have what they call silicon that can protect against ransomware attacks, which means that if they hack your system, they cannot, um, uh, let's say, um, store, take your data. You always can retrieve your data because it's not accessible by anybody, also not by the by by yourself, but by the ransomware attackers, and that's um, let's say the ground level where you can protect yourself. Um, so these are some basic examples, which are for the energy sector, but basically for for any sector. Then we have the use of AI and machine learning. Hackers use machine learning, but you need to use machine learning as well. If you look to these cloud providers, they use machine learning to think ahead what the next step will be of a hacker. So they can think what will be the next step and take actions already. So it's a never ending cat and mouse game, which you have to play because it never stops. But AI can really help you to start thinking ahead what the next step will be from this person behind this hack. So there's different levels and the most advanced levels are using AI to protect your company. One thing we haven't yet spoken about is cost. Turbjörn Folgaro, what is the level of investment in big data and AI technologies that's going to be needed to deliver meaningful efficiencies and to decarbonize on scale? I believe that the 
have changed the view on Ghana IT cost in companies like Equinor for the recent years that historically within in, in our industry, IT has typically been in, you know, a functional cost with, with quite tough cost target on it. And we have flipped that a bit upside down, upside down and, and really think about uh, IT investment as an enabler. So that means if you have a good business cases, a good value proposition of investing in, in, in digital, uh, we will do so. And that means that we have seen quite some increase in, in the investment within digital, uh, at least since 2016, 2017. And, and it's not only to enable the, the innovation, it's also to become a more resilient company. So we're also investing in, 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 a, in a kind of secure, resilient IT infrastructure um, to, to, to also protect our company. So that means we need both increased investment from a resilience perspective, as well as to drive the, the, the transformation innovation agenda. So uh, um, we are seeing a quite, quite huge step up into the investment, also in terms of the recruitment within this area in the, in, in the company. Can you quantify that for us when you say you've seen quite a huge step up in investment in this area? So we are not going to go in public on the specific cost on, on digital technology uh, per se, but I think it's fair to say, at least on the investment level, we, we, we are seeing more than twofold over the last years in terms of maybe we're only a, a few years back and, and, and then we are back to it. So what we are doing in Actinor, we are Every year we are reporting to the to the market what is the value creation from our technology and, and digital agenda and, and so far we have uh, we have communicated deliveries of more than two billion dollars right and then we defend uh, why we are kind of double do, doubling down on, on on digital so and then let's see what it will be be going going forward. Now to round off our conversation, I'd like you to step back for a moment and give me an assessment of where we stand right now regarding the understanding and deployment of AI, digitization, machine learning, et cetera, et cetera, in the context of the challenge, which is the energy transition and trying to accelerate it. Nabil al uh, So the, the current state, at least when the oil and gas industry used you know, AI for quite you know, uh, some time, but, but still the algorithms, the complex, you know, uh, modeling, uh, the way you simulate, the way you educate, upscale your, you know, your, your work is, uh, in all the sectors, still there are a lot to be, a lot of value to be, to be extracted, you know, from leveraging data and, and AI. So, so the potential is extremely high, uh, whether in improving sustainability or making the right decisions, creating jobs, uh, making sure that enterprises, they meet their ESG targets, I think, in my opinion, we just in the starting point. Uh, this requires a lot of collaboration. You know, uh, when we talk about what is the potential, we cannot segregate, you know, delivering uh, solutions and AI from training and, and identifying and, and, and upskilling people with AI. So you have to have the right AI academies. Also, there are a lot of potential for research and development. So I think we are, uh, you know, in, in a very long AI journey. Uh, I like to call it AI uh, journey uh, that really will, will continue with us for quite some time. While we have also to look at the governance side, we have to look at also, we cannot allow machines to control human beings unless we have the right governance, the right ethics, 
you know, we we need to trace uh, and log every action done by machines as well, in case something really happens. At least we know who's accountable. Uh, I think there are a lot ahead of us, and and technology and research and development and the brain of human beings will discover new potential, you know, for for digital transformation, specifically AI. Ronald van Loon, can I ask you the same question? Where are we at right now in terms of the deployment of AI, machine learning, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of where we need to get to? I think if we look technically, um, technically we have the power to solve the energy savings and optimization challenges with data and AI at rapid speed. Are we there? Oh, for sure not. The capabilities are growing by factor 10 for hundred sometimes, depending on, on the compute power. So how much power we have to, to generate answers with, with the help of AI. And this is increasing very rapidly. So there's a lot of opportunity. But if I look to, let's say, the understanding from the ICT sector and the capabilities and the possibilities and the opportunities that are there with the help of data and AI, they really get it. They are investing at very rapid speed into this sector and advancing the technology to improve it. But I think it's not only, let's say, technology. It's also changing behavior, changing behavior from organizations, changing behavior from the consumers. It's about legacy, legacy technical systems, but also legacy cars from 20 years ago. Um, And then you have, I think, the, the politics are they aware of the capabilities of AI or are they thinking in different directions of solutions? And I think we need to educate the politicians what the possibilities are with AI and data. So they start pushing this, start pushing this to more democratize applications and solutions that are driven by data and by AI, use a lot of less energy than all the existing Uh, products and services and this way facilitate and finance this type of replacement by all type of solutions that are energy intensive uh, have energy intensive usage so a lot of education a lot of opportunity and yeah i think politics needs to understand all the capabilities as well like the technology sector does to really drive this forward with the help of ai So, Torbjörn, I'm going to give you the final word then. How do you see the role of AI, analytics, big data in the context of the energy transition, the huge challenge we have ahead of us? Yeah, thanks, uh, Nisha. So so I believe we are only seeing the the beginning uh, here. Uh, We, as an industry, I believe we have succeeded quite well with selected digital flagship solving very concrete business problems, but now we need to think digital as at scale, uh, really ensure that digital is integrated in everything we are we are doing. And, and then we have a, a long journey ahead of us, but also a lot of opportunities. And, and you know, to some extent, the technology is is there, is, is out there. Data, data is getting there. I think there's still a lot of complexity in, in data avail- availability due to the complexity and, and size of our industry. We need to continue to educate and train our people in, in you know, allowing them to fully embrace these new uh, new uh, opportunities. It will kind of require uh, this merge between technology and people uh, in investing on both sides to, to take out this uh, potential uh, ahead of us. But for us to, to reach our um, target towards 2050, digital is 
probably the key enabler to, uh, to, to get there. So we are excited for the, the journey uh, ahead. Turbjörn Folgaro, Ronald van Loon, and Nabil El Noem, a big thank you for sharing your views on this rapidly changing area. Big data and AI clearly offer the potential to deliver real changes towards a lower carbon future. In the next edition of Powered by How, we'll be discussing hydrogen. Can we harness the world's most common element as an efficient fuel? What role will it play in achieving net zero? Join me, Nisha Pele, for Powered by How towards a new hydrogen economy. This podcast has been brought to you by Reuters Plus in partnership with Aramco. Thank you for listening.